Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Joe Zimmel and Valerie Friedman. We don't usually start this way. We usually start lots of other ways. But uh, I'm just coming on the air here because what we're going to do is play a lot of music for you today. The Sybarite Five is or are here. That's an interesting question right away. Um, Sybarite Five seems it's collective and yet it's also kind of singular. What, do you, what, what verb tense or not, what, what verb uh, form do you guys use? Are you an is or an are? We are an is. Sybarite mm-hmm. Five is here. One entity. Yeah. One group. Yeah, you are, you are a single hive mind. All right, the Sybarite Five uh, is here. Uh, they are a modern chamber group. Well, actually, let's, uh, we'll just do this step by step. We won't assume a single thing. So uh, one of the things that is difficult to talk about these days are categories of music. So I just called you a modern chamber group. That's probably not what you call yourself. What do you call yourselves? We call ourselves a modern chamber group. Oh, wow. <laughs> it's like almost I'm like the sixth Sybarite Five person. I've just mel- <laughs> exactly. I mind melded with you. I'm actually sharing all your thoughts now. I don't even have to ask. So they're going to be performing uh, here in Connecticut uh, as part of the uh, – what's it called? What is the festival called? The Forward Festival. And is the Forward Festival kind of you or is there – like is the Forward Festival happening here right now because you're here? Yes. It, it was created by us. It's the world's first portable chamber music festival. We launched it last year in Sarasota, Florida. And this is the second season. So at any given moment, wherever you are, that's where the Fast Forward Festival is happening? Um, it's well, we, a little we bit d- more planning than that. <laughs> yeah, we do, we do tour to other places that we are not actually putting on a festival. Right. But when we do the festival, we go somewhere for a week and we engage with the community and we put on several concerts. And it's a more involved process than simply going to a place and playing a concert and then leaving. All right. So uh, – we're going to uh, meet the, the group in greater detail in just a second, but it seems kind of stupid to be talking about music without hearing any of it. So let me, let me just sort of, first of all, tell you what we did. Uh, we've never also done this before. We had them come here a few hours ago uh, so that we could record them in a slightly less pressurized way. Uh, so we've got uh, a bunch of selections of their music that we'll be, go- we'll be sort of throwing to as we uh, go along here. And so rather than sort of talk about music that you haven't heard, we're going to let you hear some of the music. The first uh, composition is uh, the the Rebel. So, Louis Levitt, maybe you can quickly just tell us a little bit about The Rebel. Uh, this is a piece called The Rebel by Piotr Sevcek. He's a young composer originally from Poland that now lives in America, and this was written for us a few years ago. I met him when we were in school at the Cincinnati Conservatory of Music, and we also hung out a lot with uh, him as a group at the Aspen Music Festival. All right, here we go. <laughs> Thank you. 
All right. That was Sobride 5. So it's time to meet Sobride 5. Let's see how good my memory is. Uh, Sarah, Whitney, Sarah Whitney is on violin. Sami Merdinian also on violin. On viola, Angela Pickett, Louis Levitt on double bass. And on cello, Laura Metcalf. And if the name Laura Metcalf sounds kind of familiar, uh, she is the daughter of Steve Metcalf, who's our music writer at WNPR.org and many other things besides. And um, and are you still my niece? I guess you're still my niece. Yeah. Yeah. yeah why, why, not? why not? Why not? Uh, and so uh, – but that's not why they're here. I mean they're here because they're amazing. Uh, they're not here because uh, she's possibly nominally my niece. Um, and I just want to maybe begin by talking about the, uh, the creating the audience for the kind of music that you guys are doing. So you hear chamber music. I mean the, the, the audience that thinks of itself as a chamber music audience has a lot of white hair, right? It's uh, It's – uh, just if you say you're programming some chamber music somewhere, in general, what's going to happen is a lot of people my age or older are going to show up. But I mean, obviously, you guys are doing a lot of young, hip, fun stuff. Later on in the show, you're going to hear their repurposing of, say, a Radiohead composition. So, is it first of all just kind of a mission to to sort of change the the composition of the chamber music audience, or is that not even necessary? Is it happening all by itself? I think it's kind of happening. Um, I think that we kind of maybe we started out thinking, oh, we'll do something um, to attract younger people. And what actually what happened was that we did something to attract younger people. And we found out that a lot of the older people had never heard the music and it actually ended up attracting older people. And then the, the younger people came to hear the new music but then left liking the old music. So everything was backwards, but it seemed to work out pretty well. I mean, we should say that in, adif- in addition to uh, the kind of composition that we just heard that was uh, composed specifically for you, uh, you guys will occasionally do a little Mozart, right? Yeah, so we love uh, classical music. Yeah, we, um, we don't have a lot of standard classical repertoire written for our instrumentation. So, um, you know, the choices are not huge, but we do, um, we do play classical selections when, when we can. We do some Mozart, Barber, Dvorak, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I want to just quickly, quickly talk about how you were formed. I, my, I think I read somewhere that you were formed at the Aspen Music Festival. Is that sort of where you all met, Sarah? Yeah, we we were all students at the Aspen Music Festival at one time, and the group started kind of. Um, it was Lewis was actually really started the group and wanted to play chamber music, and realized he had to put to put a group together in order to make that happen because there's not a lot of. Um, uh, double bass is not common in in string and chamber music, and obviously not in string quartet. So he created the quintet, and here we are now. Well, you know, I wanted to ask sort of about chemistry. I mean, any of you could do this conceivably with four other really great musicians who are not the four musicians that you're with right now. But it obviously wouldn't be the same. Um, the, and there's the fact that you guys now. How, how many years have you, Angela? How long have you guys been together? We've been together for five years. Okay. So the fact that you, that's a suggestion that you have not rejected the chemistry among you. So, I mean, is there a way to talk about why this particular group of five people coheres and works as a permanent chamber group? Well, I think that uh, everyone in the group has a specific um, set of talents and they're um, quite different. So um, altogether – we cover a broad range of musical tastes and backgrounds and also a lot of different skills um, behind the scenes, which are also very necessary these days. So I think that, um, yeah, th- we are very complementary and it works all together. Is there, is there another answer to that question, why this particular group of five uh, you know, is successful in a way that maybe if 
two of you went off and combined with three other people and one of you went off and combined with four other people, it just wouldn't be the same? Um, I think that I was drawn I was drawn to everyone for a different reason, that this or that. But I think the, the bottom line is that I, I think that we're all believe in order to kind of have a career nowadays as a classical musician, you have to have a lot of flexibility. And I think that that's kind of a, a, a trait that we all share. And I remember specifically hearing, you know, Sarah play violin and doing like a Led Zeppelin solo and then playing some classical music and being, wow, wouldn't it be cool to play with Sarah? And, you know, I hear Sami do something and say and the same kind of thing. So I think that we're kind of attracted to each other for musical reasons, which are also, um, you know, wide and varied and, and very complementary in a, in a unique way. So when you talk about flexibility, are you talking specifically and only about repertoire or flexibility in other ways? Well, I do yoga. Um, <laughs> I can put my right foot behind my head. Um, uh, yeah, I'm thinking about uh, repertoire, but also um, a lot of the stuff we do now is – it's kind of normal now, but you know, five or six years ago, it was really like out of the box. Like, are you crazy? Why would you do that? You know, we, don't, we don't wear um, you know, tuxedos and tails on stage. Um, no matter where we're playing, we're we're a lot more casual group. We talk between all of our pieces, and we announce all of our works from the stage. And in order to you know do that, we have to have five people that are really willing to do that and be flexible um, with all those things. Because a lot of times we're inventing the wheel. Um, you don't wear tuxedos on stage. Although the last time I saw you play, and I think it was sort of at a cooler uh, season of the year. Uh, and it may have been the, just that I was sort of sitting at eye level with the stage. I felt like the women's boot budget was pretty high. You know, that <laughs> I thought I was looking. <laughs> I thought I was looking at at least four figures in terms of like collective boot costs and and maybe more. We have uh, been known to wear booties. We, we like our shoes. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I, I was wondering, wondering also flexibility in terms of sort of where you go and where you play. I mean, first of all, I assume these days to make it to do what you're trying to do and do it successfully, you kind of have to be a band on the run. I mean, you got to go places, right? Right. Yes, we um, we tour quite a bit. Uh, I think this season we have about forty concerts um, in in all different places. So, how many different continents? How many different continents? We've well, we three. Yeah, we've performed um, in Asia, South America, and here in Canada. And, but you haven't been to so Europe far. yet. That's we have not yet been to Europe. Yeah. If you're out there, we have many people streaming us uh, in Belgium and France. So, fantastic! Uh, Give us uh, a call. Demand <laughs> that you get Subride Five, um, and and so. Well, we should, uh, you know, I, I was pressing them for touring stories. I always feel like bands have like, these great touring stories about the van breaking down or this or that. Although the only one that we could really come up with was uh, Sarah almost losing her violin. Uh, you want to quickly tell that story of Osaka? Oh, oh yeah. Um, well, <laughs> and, and we were in Osaka. Too, we were in Osaka and um, we did a competition there last year. And we were on the train on our way to the airport and uh, – I guess the way the train works is that the first three cars continue onto the airport and the last three cars separate uh, at a certain point. So we realized this about halfway in to the trip, kind of realizing that we needed to shuffle our way up a couple cars with all of our suitcases, our humongous in- instruments and cases. And so we started to do that. It was, we were, you know, quite a show. Um, but uh, we managed to get up to the first car, I think. And then all of a sudden it dawned on me that I had left my violin on the, uh, three cars behind me um, and there was the possibility that the cars could detach any moment now so <laughs> I um, I uh, you know screamed a few words um, and dropped all my stuff turned around and and As I went we and fetched already it. a spectacle yeah <laughs> a lot of jet lag yeah. 
Yeah, you said you, it does look like some sort of clown act or oh, something. Oh, you were such yeah. a clown show walking American through that train. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What, about, right. what about the, um, do you guys remember the room shoes? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> this sounds like a good story. Who's yeah. going to tell the room shoes story? Um, I think it was, <laughs> we were at, Sh- was it at Chautauqua? Mm. Um, and it was our first concert at this this really wonderful music festival in Chautauqua. And um, we we got to our dress rehearsal and I think our, our hotel, you know, we'd left our hotel for the day. And so we got to our dress rehearsal and Sami realized that unfortunately he had left his shoes um, back his in the hotel shoes, and there yeah. was definitely not time to retrieve them. And there wasn't anyone there to retrieve them. And he was wearing these extremely garish white sneakers, which were not quite acceptable for stage. They did not fit with and the, the they budget. Didn't fit, they didn't uh, fit with our with our vibe. Yeah, yeah, they didn't. They weren't. They weren't above the boot budget. Sami's facial expression so far <laughs> indicates this is not a happy memory that you're recounting right now. But. No, but it ends well. It ends well. I just don't remember it. <laughs> okay. Everyone else remembers. So anyway. We were our green room was something of like a repository for I think a lot of props or something for like productions of whatever they had been putting on earlier in the summer, and Sami managed to just find some shoes that for for whatever reason they fit him and they actually fit in with what our aesthetic was, um, and and he just he just slyly put them on and when Angela saw what he had done she goes. Are those room shoes? <laughs> and 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 he wore room shoes for the concert, and, and it all went off fine. All right. So you're listening to Sybride 5. They're basically a footwear group with a chamber music problem. Um, and so, right. So since since we just uh, told the story of Sarah almost listening, losing her violin, uh, we should actually uh, let you hear what she can do when she's shredding on that violin. So uh, we're going to close this segment uh, with a, a song called Black Bend. Who wants to – well, actually, maybe you should set up Black Bend. Well, Black Bend is written by a good friend of ours named Dan Bisconti. It was actually the very first piece written for us. And Dan is someone someone we've worked with throughout the years, and he's written quite a few pieces for us. All right. So uh, get ready to hear Sarah shred on that violin that did not disappear into the depths of Japan.
And we're back. We're back with the Sybaride Five, a modern chamber ensemble. We've decided that's what they are. Uh, they're going to be performing. I don't even think we've said this yet. They're going to be performing Sunday uh, at the Infinity Music Hall. It is Sunday, right? Yes. Sunday. Infinity Music Hall is part of this Fast Forward Festival. We're going to tell you a little bit about there'll be extras. There'll be extras. There'll be bonuses. It won't be just the Sybaride Five as if that weren't enough. Of course, it would be enough, uh, but they're going to be even more than that. But before we do that, I want to get into – I have to sort of get into the third rail area with you guys, all right? So uh, – and it's an awkward thing to talk about and it's a, even more awkward to talk about on the radio. But even when it was mentioned that we were going to have you on the air, one of your fellow musicians said, oh, well, they're all so beautiful. Um, and and I mean even – we can even talk about sort of why you picked the name that you picked. But I mean first of all, I mean, do you get that a lot that you guys are the sort of – obviously you're very serious, dedicated, skilled musicians. But there is sort of a glamour factor here, right? All right. I'm going to make you answer that. Um, flattery will get you everywhere. Yeah. Um, I mean I don't, I don't know that we, we are being told that constantly. But we, you know, we try to keep up appearances. <laughs> is that as far as you're willing to go? I mean, I, I, it obviously helps. Cha- chamber music doesn't have, you know, a reputation for necessarily sort of sexiness or glamour or fashion or any of that kind of stuff. I mean, I would assume this would be a pretty big plus. Maybe it does yes, now. We, um, you know, we 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 give a lot of thought to our attire. Um, there's actually we were interviewed by Symphony Magazine about um, about our attire um, <laughs> because it's it's unusual and and it's actually been honed over the years. Our first our early concerts, um, the girls wore gowns, ball gowns, and the men wore suits. And we, we just kind of realized that it, it did not fit with the music that we were playing. It felt really strange to go on stage in a ball gown and play Radiohead. And um, so over the years, we kind of have honed our look. And we do feel like it's part of the concert experience. When you come to see our concert, you're going to be um, – It's we want it to feel casual. We want to feel like – we are, um, you know, able to communicate with the audience in the fact that we talk to them and the fact that we're not wearing these sort of antiquated um, traditional uniforms. Um, and so we kind of it's, it all ties in with what we want the audience to experience in our concert. Is there any way in which you would resist that characterization of the sort of super attractive group of, you know, five young people? I mean, would you not want to be known for that? would not resist that characterization. <laughs> you can't speak for everybody. They... <laughs> would anyone resist that characterization? Well, Sarah's making a face. Uh, no, I don't think we would resist model, it. So um, she can make whatever. You know, obviously the music is most important and the artistic product to us um, needs to always be at a high level. And, um, you know, that really is the most important thing to us. But as Laura said, we have really kind of taken into account um, what we wear and thought a lot about it, um, maybe more so than... I would say more so than other chamber groups, maybe. And um, so I think it's it's kind of a, a full package. I mean, it's really an entire concert experience that we want to we want to provide the audience with. And that includes what we look like. <laughs> 
All right. Angela, who had surrendered the mic, does really want to chime in on well, this. Well, I just want to add one thing, which yeah. is that we all we live in New York City, mm-hmm. and I don't know if we're necessarily trying. I, I feel like the way that we dress on stage is, you know, we do think about it, but we're not really trying to dress differently than we would if we would just be going out, you know, in it, for dinner or to a party in, in the city. So... I think it comes with the territory. You're just unbelievably cool, and that's going to turn up well, on stage, right. you know? All right. I mean, I mean how, you, you can't help it. You want, what are you <laughs> supposed to do? Deface yourself before you go on stage in some way? Uh, did you want to add something? It kind of seems like there are a lot of um, weird, quote-unquote, problems with, like, classical music and all these stigmas and stuff. And I think that a big part of the group is that we just want to – whatever is, like, a, a problem to solve, like, we just want to solve it. So if a problem to solve is, is you know – you know, dressing a certain way, or or speaking with the audience, and or announcing from the stage, or anything we can do to like break down these boundaries is kind of interesting to us because it's easy for us to do it. We're five people. It's hard for an orchestra to do that. There's like a hundred people, and they've got like a union. They're going to vote, but we can figure it out pretty quickly. Yeah, and I think also, you know, kind of doing things that that surprise people a little bit um, is something that we like to do, or you know, and just being very confident about it. And I think. The way we dress on stage has a lot to do with that. I mean, I, when we first started doing it, it was it was hard. It was a challenge for us too to feel comfortable walking out on a, you know concert stage wearing jeans and booties. <laughs> but um, but I Stop think calling them booties. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what they are. <laughs> but um, but I think we do like kind of that shock factor a little bit, and um, yeah. Uh, by the way, photos are already up at WNPR.org if you're curious about what we're talking about. Uh, and um, I, I also, well, since you say you, you like to surprise people with what you do on stage, one of the things that you've done, I don't know if you do it for every show now, is this uh, the shuffle effect, the, uh, the way that you uh, let an iPod or a shuffle program uh, pick the set list. Somebody explain that. I mean, I sort of already did, but go ahead. Wow. I'll give, you, I'll give you the real version for the first time ever. Okay. Um, so... Um, we were we did a residency at a theater in New York called the Cell Theater that's been very gracious to us and has had us come back year after year to do a series of concerts. And the first year we did a total of ten concerts and three series and a preview concert. So um, we had different themes for each concert, and we, so we had to pick them with these th- one preview, no problem. Another theme, another theme, and a third theme. And by the time we got to the third theme, we couldn't figure out what to do. We were like, we didn't have that much music written for us. And so I said, well, why don't we just put it all on our iPad and press the shuffle button and we'll call it the shuffle effect um, so we can get this grant and play this concert and let's do it. And it ended up being a huge success and a lot of people actually really craved that kind of spontaneity. So we kept it going. And is it is it comfortable for everybody to have sort of to, to not know from moment never, to moment? It is never comfortable, and I think that that's kind of what there's a, there's a fear factor involved, and that's what keeps some of it exciting. Well, also, I mean, typically when you set up a set list, there's a whole bunch of calculation that you put into it. You don't want a whole bunch of fast pieces crammed in together and stuff like that. Now you're just you're throwing caution to the wind there, right? Yes. I mean, we all have this. I think we've all had the same nightmare that we're doing the shuffle effect and like seven slow songs all come on at once. Or all the the Radiohead songs come up. Or just, yeah. But, you know, it's okay because it's not our fault. It's the iPod's fault. Exactly. (laughs) Apple owns intellectually property there. So Um, as we're heading towards the end of this segment, we're going to end with Piazzolla. And Sami, I haven't because you didn't have a microphone at first, didn't get to uh, hear you talk very much. And uh, Angela was uh, saying before, everybody brings something uh, to this. Um, am, am I being too simplistic in thinking that, that, that you're the one who makes sure that Piazzolla gets played in this group? 
Well, it happens that I'm from Argentina yeah. originally, so I think your assumption is correct. Uh, when I joined the group, I brought, uh, among other things, some piazzolla music, mm-hmm. and it's something that um, we have enjoyed playing and audiences love to listen to, and I don't know, uh, it's something that we have incorporated and enjoy playing throughout the years. I mean, the audience who's listening to this show right now is probably functioning at a whole bunch of different levels of musical sophistication or familiarity with this stuff. To the extent that they know Piazzolla at all, maybe they, they think of him as somebody who, who does tangos. And, and then if they think anything about tangos, they think about some people dancing across the floor very close. Maybe give people a, like a little bit more of a sense of Piazzolla and where he fits in in the firmament of, of composers. Astor Piazzolla was actually... Uh classically trained, and he spent some years studying with Nadia Boulanger in France. Um, And she was kind of the person that told him uh, once uh, she heard the music that he was composing to kind of stay true to his roots and like what um, his initial um, writing was. Uh, So he kind of developed this new genre really uh, inside of tango uh, where he brings uh, tango music to concert halls, uh, he had a, a lot of resistance among tango, the tango community, because his music is not really for dancing, and um, so it took him a long, a uh, lot of years. Actually, in Argentina, he found the most resistance. So he, he moved to Europe. He uh, lived in New York, and so his music really in like the last fifteen twenty years is where. It, became uh, so played and so um, popular uh, throughout the the world. Um, but yeah, he's kind of the father of new tango, which is bringing tango to concert halls and taking it away from dancers. All right, so we're going to uh, play the piece that you guys recorded about an hour ago. Set, set this piece up for us. So this is uh, La Muerte del Ángel. It's part of the Angel Suite that he wrote um, in the 60s. Um, La Muerte del Ángel by Astor Piazzolla. All right. Thank you. 
Ooh, did it just cut out? It did it. Did it, did it again? All right, I'm coming back. I'm coming back. We're having a little problem with that pre-recorded thing. It's the second time it's happened to us this week. All right, so we're actually back on the air here with the Sybaride Five, uh, and we should say that uh, they will be playing on Sunday at the Infinity Music Hall in Hartford. The wonderful, incredible Infinity Music Hall in Hartford is such a nice place and such a nice venue. And it will be really interesting to see, uh, to hear how music like this in particular works in that venue. My prediction is great. Um, but it's not just Sybaride 5. It's uh, because it's a, a fast-forward festival. That means other things have to, have to happen. So Laura Metcalf, what else will be on stage with you or who else will be on stage with you? So at our final concert for the Forward Festival, we are going to feature um, West Hartford native Sarah Chase, um, who I have known since we were nine years old, and she was singing her heart out in children's Broadway musicals. Um, she is going to be doing a set of songs with us as well as a set of songs with another Forward Festival guest artist, classical guitarist Rupert Boyd. Um, on the concert is also a performance by the Full Force Dance Theater as well as the Connecticut Children's Choir. Okay, so that's a lot. We should that's say Rupert Boyd is your betrothed. He is my be- betrothed. Um, and then Sarah Chase, Chase, in addition to having performed in many uh, wonderful musicals growing up here in West Hartford, has gone on to have a full-blown career as an actress, uh, was seen in New York in The Toxic Avenger. And and this is where I get to uh, talk about how dumb I am. So I've known Sarah Chase for a long time too um, and she's even was involved in a project briefly that uh, that Laura's father and I were involved in. Uh, nonetheless, I managed to watch all of the episodes of the uh, um, Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt on Netflix, the terrific Tina Fey comedy, not comprehending that one of the people I was looking at was Sarah Chase. It just sort of didn't occur to me to be looking for Sarah Chase in this particular thing. So anyway, she's a big star now. She's a big deal. That's that's the point of what I'm saying. All right. We're talking to Sybarite 5 right now. What, how, why did you pick the name? Where does the, I mean, Sybarite obviously has a particular meaning. Um, where did the name come from? Um, well, the name comes from Greek mythology from the town of Sybaris. The people who lived there were Sybarites and they were known for charming their enemies by playing music amongst a few other things. <laughs> um, all right. Yeah, it's the few other things that uh, make up its connotation, but we won't belabor that. Um, I want to talk – we're going to hear uh, here in our final segment two different Radiohead songs. We'll hear an entire Radiohead piece and then uh, a little snippet of one at the end. So um, you do cover various – our uh, artists that uh, lie somewhere within the rock canon. You actually have covered Led Zeppelin. Uh, that may or may not be Sarah's fault. Um, and um, but but Radiohead is like the big thing for you. I mean, among in the rock canon, right? That's so. Why is it? What what is it about Radiohead? What's the you know? Why does it meld so well with what you do? Well, Radiohead is is extremely rich um, harmonically and sonically. There's the way that they use um, electronic sounds to sort of build the palette of what they're doing, as well as, like I said, the, the chord progressions, the harmonies are really um, compelling. And we found that they just translate so well. Um, the, the arrangements that we have translate so well into concert music. And and so far we haven't had one band, one other band that we've found whose, whose complete output is as um, fitting for for concert music and and we will we'll find something else but it's it's really radiohead has been so fruitful for us yeah, anybody else have a theory also or, or a way of characterizing that um, what the relationship is or what the i think well, if you put it uh compare it to other composers which are classical uh contemporary composers um and you put them side by side you wouldn't find 
uh, much difference. Mm. Uh, the polyrhythms, the um, the harmonies, the I don't know the rhythm, the ri- yeah, the rhythmic uh, drive. So these are all characters of a lot of music that is being uh, written nowadays. Sarah, what were you going to say? I also think that um, the the very first arrangement we did was packed like sardines in a question box, and it was done by a really great arranger and composer named Paul Sanho Kim. And Paul was able able to capture all of the many different sounds um, and effects in the Radiohead songs, the electronics, the the percussion, um, everything. And he was just extremely brilliant with his arrangement. And I think that also kind of contributed to the project because we had that arrangement. We loved it so much. We said, this is amazing. In that song, I actually used spoons to hit the strings to make a sound. And and so we've used he's done almost all of our arrangements and I think getting we would get one every so often the more we got we just realized I mean not only is the music amazing but you know this Paul was doing such an incredible job with the arrangement it was extremely exciting and fulfilling for us to play them. I mean that's sort of, sort of some of the fun of chamber right is is doing something like that like the same Garmini program that brought you in uh, a year or so ago uh, they brought the Imani winds in and they do Stravinsky's Rite of Springs with just however I don't know how many pieces they have five or six five, five yeah and and so the bassoon is basically creating uh, a lot of the you know the, that deep percussion sound and stuff like that you that you think of uh, with Rite of Spring to me that's some of the fun of, of chamber is seeing if you can get your instruments to do stuff that, that other instruments were, were originally intended to do yeah, that's definitely a big uh, part of it for us. Um, and there's there's a certain, like, that turns on, like, a certain part of your brain, I think, that we all um, enjoy. And uh, it's funny you mentioned Stravinsky because I think that when I – the first Radiohead music I got interested in kind of reminded me of Stravinsky in that way. And and also Stravinsky is another uh, composer that we've done arrangements, arrangements of his pieces before because he was so flexible with really creating – uh, different pieces for whatever ensemble was ar- was around, whether it be a ballet or um, Soldier's Tale or something like that, and then redoing them and making a suite for uh, cello and piano or violin and piano. Um, he just wanted to have his music performed. So um, I feel very kind of – I feel similarly about Radiohead, and that's one of the reasons why I think it translates well. All right. Without further ado, no surprises. Thank you. 
All right. That was Sober Ride 5 with no surprises. And, you know, Lewis, I just want to go back to something that you said because I think it kind of flew by me when you first said it at the beginning, but I kind of get it now. What you were saying that when you started to introduce this kind of a repertoire where you would do, you, know, you, you might be doing Mozart, you might be doing Piazzolla, you might be doing Radiohead, you might doing, be doing Led Zeppelin, that the, as the audiences showed up, maybe some of the younger audiences hadn't heard the Mozart and some of the older audiences hadn't heard the Radiohead, right? Absolutely. Um, we had a really. Uh, really strong experience, I would say, um, with performing some Led Zeppelin. And when we did this, this is, this is when we had programs and so forth and so on, and I, I put on the, the concert, the Led Zeppelin piece, and I, I put the composers as Robert Page, James Plant, Thomas Vaughan. <laughs> I didn't put Led Zeppelin because I thought I didn't think we would, make, we would pass the mustard. Um, so I put the names of the composers there instead of Led Zeppelin. And we did this a couple times, and all the blue-haired ladies came up to us afterwards and said, how come I've never heard of those composers before? They're just absolutely <laughs> fantastic. And, and you know what? And all the young people came to hear Led Zeppelin and said, how come I've never heard of you know, that Samuel Barber piece that was absolutely beautiful? So it's, it's worked out well. So uh, we have to make sure that we say this again. So on uh, uh, Sunday night at 7 p.m. at the Infinity Music Hall, Sybaride 5 will be there with an all-star lineup of uh, fabulous guests. Uh, and so how do people get tickets to this? Here, you explain. Um, they can go to the Forward Festival website, which is www.forwardmusicfest.org um, for general information about Sybaride 5 and a link to those tickets as well as just sybaride5.org. Um, you can also buy tickets directly from Infinity Hall's website as well. All right. And there's some kind of VIP thing you can do, too. Oh, yeah. There's yep. a 1-800-24-hour ticket hotline, which yeah. is one 800 where you can get VIP passes to Ford Music Festival. Okay. We're going to be ending the show pretty soon, so I want to go over a few things with you. Do all of you have your shoes? Do the shoes that you came in with, everybody has their shoes? Thankfully. Does everybody know where their musical instrument is? Yeah. Yes. Room shoes. All right. We don't. You know. We don't want to have any <laughs> any more of these incidents. Um, but if you're just tuning in, you'll have to listen to the rebroadcast to, to understand what we're talking about. So it's been really great visiting with you. I do want to say that. I mean, just you know, having heard you. First of all, I got my own private concert while we were recording all this stuff. But also having heard you before um, at at heart. Um, it is amazing, and it is amazing listening to what Chamber can do. I, you know, years ago. I was walking through Hart – I think it was maybe when they'd opened up the Mandel building or the Handel building or whatever it's called. And, uh, and they had little performances going on in different rooms. And I walked by and there – for all I know, you were in it. I don't know. There was uh, a quartet, although I don't think so, uh, like a quart- string quartet or a string quintet playing Whipping Post by the Allman Brothers. And it was so good. <laughs> it's like I don't even really like that song very much. And I, I stopped and I thought – that just just should happen more, you know. So, are there any composers now that, or any sort of pop composers or rock composers that you're, you know, I don't know, you're starting to investigate Talking Heads or Brian Nino or something like that? Or the conversation's ongoing. We had been trying to to nail down um, a Bjork song to cover for a while, and we are going to be doing one that was not a song that she wrote originally, but that she popularized called "It's Oh So Quiet." That'll be featured on the concert on Sunday. Um, with Sarah Chase, so we're going to be we're going to be doing that. Um, anyone else? Anything else that we've been? I've been listening to. Uh, I'm always on the search for like music, you know. Mm-hmm. And lately, I've been listening to a lot of Grizzly Bear. 
Mm-hmm. And um, so I've been thinking about that. Yeah. But I think you have to do the same thing in the program. You can't just put grizzly bear. You have to like put the, whatever their actual names are. Yeah. Or we'll have like a stuffed bear on stage or something. Yeah, do stealth uh, grizzly bear. All right. Well, we want to thank you very much. And we really do want to urge people to uh, go and get tickets uh, and make sure they catch this thing. We're going to end with a little bit more Radiohead. We're going to end with Sybaride 5, our guest for this entire show today, playing Weird Fishes. That's right. I'm, I'm trying to make this error. There it goes. I was trying to count it so it worked perfectly and I screwed it up. Thank you.